Well, I want to start off by telling you guys two names, Allen Iverson and Kobe Bryant. Now, to half of you in the room, those names might mean something, and to half of you in the room, you're like, who the heck is he talking about? Now, those were two of the most popular basketball players of the early 2000s. Allen Iverson was like six foot, maybe six foot one, really skinny, not the typical basketball player, but it seemed like he could make any shot. Now, Kobe Bryant, living in LA, we're a little bit more familiar with living near LA, but he was six foot five, could dunk on everybody, the most athletic guy on the court. Now, they were both really good basketball players. And like every basketball player, their goal was to win the NBA championship. Their goal was to win the championship and bring glory to their team. But you wouldn't find two people with a more different approach to basketball. Allen Iverson was famous for missing practice. That's arguably what he's best known for today, is missing practice. And this wasn't a one-time thing. He did this a lot. But one day, his coach actually said something about it. His coach went to the media and called him out in front of everybody. He's like, yeah, our star player wasn't at practice today. I don't know what happened. And if you guys are on a sports team, or you have been on a sports team, you know that you cannot miss practice. Your coach isn't just going to be like, oh, you missed practice, whatever. It's, it's all good. Just move on. Your coach is going to be very upset. And his coach called him out in front of everybody. Everyone was waiting to see how Allen Iverson would respond. And the next day, a reporter asked him, what do you have to say about missing practice? Your coach claims you missed practice. What do you have to say? And what Iverson said was, well, I know I'm supposed to be there, but like, whatever. Like, and his famous quote is, practice? Practice? We're talking about practice? Not the game where I go play my heart out, but practice? And he just kind of shrugged it off. He said, it's good enough for me. I show up to the game. I give everything I have at the game. Why do I have to be at practice? Practice, I'm the star player. This is overrated. Now, this is one approach to trying to play the game of basketball. This is one approach. And Kobe Bryant is the other extreme. If you guys have heard anything about Kobe, you've probably heard about Mamba mentality. For Kobe, basketball wasn't just the game where he would show up on game day. For Kobe, it was his whole life. There's a story at the 2008 Olympics. The US team was training in Las Vegas. Kobe was there with guys like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, all these other great basketball players who worked really hard at it. But if you think of Vegas, you don't really think about hard work. Vegas is usually the place you go to party, go to, go to have a, a weekend away. But Kobe wanted to work out. That's all Kobe was there for. There's a story, a trainer, said he got a call from Kobe at 4.15 in the morning. Guys, if someone called me at 4.15 in the morning, I don't even think I would answer. But at 4.15, this person got a call from Kobe, and he's like, let's go work out. Let's go do this. I'm ready to work out. So the trainer rolled out of bed, went to the practice facility. They worked out until 5.30. Now, the trainer went right back to sleep. He was like, ah, you woke me up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm going right back to bed. And the trainer went back to his hotel room, went to sleep, and came back to practice at 11 in the morning. And all the guys are kind of just standing around talking, and Kobe's still in the corner over here working out. And he comes up to Kobe, he's like, oh, good workout this morning. Kobe's like, oh, yeah, thanks. So when did you finish working out? He's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean finish? He's like, what you, like we worked out at 4.30, it's 11 o'clock. He's like, 
oh yeah, I'm still finishing up. I got to make two more shots. I wanted to hit 800 shots. Kobe spent seven and a half hours or six and a half hours from 4.30 in the morning to 11. To Kobe, basketball was his whole life. His whole life was pointed towards this goal of winning the championship. Now, we have Iverson, who I talked about earlier. For him, he shrugged off practice. He's like, it's good enough to show up and give it my all at the game. Kobe put everything he had into his goal. Now, for them, their goal was to win the NBA championship. For us, our goal is to give God true worship, to glorify God in everything we do. We need to think about worshiping God as more than just a Sunday morning thing. Worshiping God isn't just a Sunday morning thing. We need to think about it like Kobe thought about that goal of winning the NBA championship. And in our text today, in Romans chapter 12, Paul has something to say about that. Now, if you guys want to turn with me there, Romans is the sixth book in our New Testament, and it's the first of the letters we see from Paul. Now, Paul's letters are organized from biggest letter from the left to shortest letter on the right. So we're going to turn to Romans, and we're going to jump in in chapter 12 today. Now, by the time we get to chapter 12, we have missed a lot in chapters 1 through 11. And usually when we go through a book, we go by verse by verse, but we're just jumping in here today. So I want to catch you guys up a little bit on what Paul talked about in chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 1 through 11 is where Paul makes his gospel appeal. Paul presents the gospel and shares this message with them. Now I'm going to start reading our text here today in verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, that verse, therefore, or that word, therefore, is the most important word in this verse. It's one of the most important transition words in all of the Bible. This is where Paul is going to move from chapters 1 through 11 of sharing the gospel, presenting this message, to how are we supposed to live the Christian life. He's saying, by this word, therefore, he's saying, based on everything that I said in the first 11 chapters, based on that, I'm making my appeal to you to present your body as a living sacrifice. So based on when he talked about God's justified wrath against humanity, how we have all sinned and we all deserve death, based on the fact that God was gracious and merciful to save us through Christ, based on the fact that our salvation is through faith alone, based on the fact that when you're a Christian, you move from death and sin to life in Christ. And based on all of that, we're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you guys, I have not ever sacrificed an animal on the altar. Did anyone else go to their, their local temple this week to sacrifice their animal? No, none, none of us have done that. To us, the word sacrifice doesn't really mean a whole lot. But to Paul's original audience, sacrifice was something that was super familiar. They had all been there when an animal that they owned, an animal that they, they raised, had been sacrificed on the altar. They had seen this animal die, the blood flow from this animal. It get burnt up on the altar. And how Paul's telling them to offer themselves as a sacrifice? Paul's telling them to die? But that would have been really shocking. But it's, it's even more than that, because Paul says there to be a living sacrifice. Now, killing an animal and a living sacrifice, those are two completely opposite ideas. This would have been really confusing. 
This is totally contradictory to the way sacrifice had worked. But that's what Paul is telling them to do here. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present not just your physical bodies, but your souls too. And in verse 2, he continues, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In verse 2, he tells us, don't become like this world. Have your mind renewed. Have your life transformed so that you are giving God true worship. And I want to point out to us the connection between verses 1 and verses 2. And here, it says that we're to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, just like Paul's audience, when I read this, I was thinking, okay, what does that really mean? How am I supposed to be holy and acceptable to God as a living sacrifice? And in verse 2, it says we're supposed to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So to be a holy and acceptable living sacrifice, we have to do the holy and acceptable will of God. Paul's telling us here that we need to respond to God's mercies with true worship in every aspect of our life. We're supposed to be able to do that in every situation in our life. And coming to church on Sunday is a great start. Coming to church on Sunday is a good thing and worshiping in church like Pastor Roy talked about last week. But being here isn't what God really cares about the most. Being at church is a great thing, but it's not what God cares about the most. So if you guys are in Romans, let's flip left in our Bibles a little bit. We're going to go to John chapter 4. I'm going to turn two books to our left here to John chapter 4. And this is a story that some of us might be familiar with. Here, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And this is a lady who's from Samaria. She's not a Christian. And through this conversation, she's been asking Jesus a lot of questions. And she's kind of picked up on the, path, picked up on the fact that Jesus is a little special. Jesus isn't just a normal guy. And she doesn't quite realize that he's God yet, but she thinks there's something special about him. So in verse 20, she asks him a question. She says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Back then, there was a big debate about where should we worship. Should we worship in Jerusalem? Where should we worship over here? Should we worship somewhere else? And she asked Jesus, Okay, Jesus, you're special. You know stuff. Where should I worship? In verse 21, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when either on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's saying, okay, the hour is coming where it's not going to matter where you worship. In the Bible, we're not called to worship at Compass Bible Church at 11 a.m. on Sundays or Compass Bible Church on Wednesday nights at 6.30. That's not what God tells us to do when it comes to worship. And that's a, like I said, that's a great thing to do. Coming to church is awesome, but it's not what God cares about the most. Where we're worshiping isn't what God cares about the most. In verse 22, it says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God's talk here in verse 23 says, when the true worshipers will worship, how will they worship? They'll worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what this whole sermon series is all about. It's about true worship. And Jesus here tells us to do that in spirit and in truth. But 
how do we worship in spirit and in truth? In John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, and in this conversation, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the way that we worship in spirit and in truth is by being born of the spirit. If we want to worship in spirit and in truth, we have to be born of the spirit through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to worship in spirit and truth, that's the only way that we can. Because we can do a lot of things that on the outside looking in are really good. We can come to church. We can be at every youth group event. We can be nice to our friends. And we can do this all without truly worshiping God. Think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders at this time. And on the outside looking in, they had everything together. They were doing the best thing. They, were, they memorized so much of their Bible. They read their Bible all the time. They would give to the church. They would do long prayers in public. They would do all these great things on the outside. And if we were looking at them, we might think, wow, they really love God. Wow, they're really worshiping God. But on the inside, their desires weren't for God. On the inside, when they were doing these long public prayers, when they were giving to the church, they were doing it all so people would look at them and say, wow, that person's really holy. Oh, that person, they're really cool. That person must, they must love God so much. Their desires were for themselves. Their desires were to glorify themselves. And when we're worshiping to try and glorify ourselves, that's not really worship. When we worship, we need to desire God. Because what Jesus said about the Pharisees that was that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We can do that in our worship. I, we all do that sometimes. I've done that before when I was doing something on the outside just so that people would see me. When we worship, we need to make sure that our desires isn't for our own glory. Our desires should be for God and for his glory. And that's our first point today. Our first point is desire God over everything else. Desire God over everything else. And if you're listening to this sermon right now and you're in this room and you're not a Christian, the first way to do this, the first step is to respond to God's mercies. Paul's saying in Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore, by the mercies of God. We need to respond to God's mercies. That is the first step if we're not a Christian. In Romans 8, 8, it says that if we're in the flesh, we can't please God. If we're in the flesh, no good works that we do, even from the outside looking in, it looks like we have our whole life together, no good works we can do will please God. But if you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook. Just because on the, on the inside, we say our heart has been changed, our desire is for God, that doesn't mean we can do whatever we want and be like, okay, well, on the inside I desire God, so it doesn't matter if I lie to this person. It doesn't matter if I'm worshiping, looking back, oh, does that person see how well I'm worshiping? We need to be desiring God over everything else because what is the goal of worship? The goal of worship is to glorify God and to please him. The goal of worship isn't to glorify ourselves. We can't do whatever we want and say it's worship just because we claim to desire God. For a Christian, we're called to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. 
And think about sacrifices in the Old Testament. When they sacrificed in the Old Testament, it was a lamb, and it was a lamb without blemish. It had no spots. It was perfect. If we're supposed to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that means on the inside, our hearts need to be perfectly holy and acceptable to God. And I don't know about you guys, but my heart is not always holy and acceptable and perfect before God. I think if we look at our life, we can see that our hearts aren't always holy and acceptable and perfect before God. We need to be a sacrifice without blemish, but a lot of times we aren't. Fortunately for us, we aren't unique in that. This is something that God's people have struggled with for centuries. Think about David. David was a man after God's own heart. It says that David did desire God above everything else. But David sinned in some really bad ways. If we think about the story of David and Bathsheba, and if we're not familiar with that story, what happened was David sent all his men off to war, and David stayed at home. David sent all his men off to war, and he stayed at home, and while he was at home, he was looking down on the city, and he saw a woman bathing on a rooftop. And David liked what he saw. David wanted that woman for himself. So David, he's the king here. He gives a command to that woman's husband, and he sends him to the front lines of the battle. He sends her husband Uzziah into a trap and gets her husband killed. David basically planned the death of this man. David committed murder here, and then he took this woman as his own. He committed murder, he committed adultery, committed lust, coveting, all these terrible sins. In that moment, he wasn't a holy and acceptable living sacrifice. He was just like us a lot of times. But in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, David talks about that. He says, God, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He's saying, God, I, I would do anything for you. I would give you an offering. I would give you a sacrifice, but I know you won't be pleased with that. If I could make this up with my actions, I would. But he can't. In verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David knew that he could do these good things for God, but that wasn't what God really wanted. What God really wanted was David's heart. What God really wanted was David to repent from these bad things and to desire God above everything else to desire God most of all. If we want to be a living sacrifice, that's what we need to do. If we want to be holy and acceptable, we need to, in our hearts, desire God most. Desire God above everything else. And if we desire God, that means we'll want what he wants. We'll do what he tells us to. Because what God wants is our obedience. Back in Romans, Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want us to think again about that connection. Holy and acceptable sacrifice and the holy and acceptable will of God. How do we be a holy and acceptable sacrifice? We do the holy and acceptable will of God. But how do we know what that is? What is the holy and acceptable will of God? If we knew just right off the bat, oh, this is exactly what we were supposed to do, that would be really easy. That would make life a lot easier. But we can't do that. And the renewal of our mind that Paul is thinking about here in this verse 
is a renewal that is so complete where in every situation, we can know what we're supposed to do to glorify God. As a Christian, our life is supposed to be transformed because of the renewal of our mind. Now, if something needs to be renewed, that usually means there's a problem. Something doesn't need to be renewed if it's good and it's in the right condition. If something needs to be renewed, it means that there's a problem. But what's the problem with our minds? You might think, Drew, my, my mind works just fine. I can, think, I can think just fine. But it's not about a lack of knowledge. Because if it was about a lack of knowledge, we could just all be, go, go to school for 10 years. Each one of us in here could be like, yeah, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And we can learn everything there is to learn. And then we'll be good. All we need is more knowledge. But that's not what the problem is. The problem is that our minds are inherently self-centered. Our minds are focused on worshiping ourselves. Our minds aren't focused on glorifying God, on putting God first, on giving him true worship. Our minds are focused on worshiping ourselves. That's something that no amount of knowledge will fix. And if you ask the world to say, that's great. You should focus on yourself. Come on, live your best life. Put yourself first. Take some self-care days, you know, whatever makes you happy. It doesn't really matter. It's just about you being happy. It's all about yourself. But Paul tells us we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be conformed to the world. Our life is about being a living sacrifice and worshiping God. Our life shouldn't be a self-centered life that's focused on us. Our life should be a life that's focused on worshiping God, on being that holy and acceptable sacrifice, on doing his will. And to do that, our minds need to be renewed. So we know the problem now, but what is the solution? The solution is this. The solution is God's word. This is what's going to renew our minds. So for point number two, let's write down, study God and his word. Study God and his word. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Drew, this is just a book. This is just a book I've read plenty of books for English class. None of these have renewed my life. I've read The Great Gatsby before. That book did nothing for me. But this just isn't any other book. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God isn't just some old book it's a book that is living and active. From the very beginning of creation, God's word has had power. When God created the world, what God did was God spoke, and creation came into existence. God's word had the power to create everything. God's word created me. God's word created each and every one of us in this room. And if God's word has the power to create, and it's living and active, then God's word has the power to renew our minds. God's word has the power to change us. And if you still don't think, okay, it's still just a book, Drew. Like, okay, maybe it changed my mind, but it's not actually going to tell me what I'm supposed to do. Is this really, am I really supposed to live by this book? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This verse is telling us, that if we study God and we study his word well, we can be equipped for every single good work. We can be that holy and acceptable sacrifice. But in order to do this, 
We need to actually spend time in God's word. Now, a couple weeks ago, I looked at my screen time report. This was a little convicting for me. I looked at my screen time report, and my time on Instagram, my time is studying the Bible. Really, it should be like, oh, I spend this much time studying the Bible, I spend this much time on Instagram, right? But in reality, they were kind of like here, maybe here sometimes. They, they weren't always in the right spot. I wasn't always putting God's word first. I think if we look at our life, we check maybe the time that we spend on Instagram versus the time that we spend in God's word. Maybe the time that we spent the past couple weeks playing Fortnite with the boys, hanging out, getting wins. Maybe if we compare that time to the time that we spent in God's word. Or for you girls who are thinking, I don't play Fortnite, I'm good. What about your Pinterest wedding boards? Do, do you spend more time on your Pinterest wedding board every day? Or do you spend more time looking at God's word? And, and this is something for all of us. This is something that all of us need to work on. If we want our minds to be renewed, we need to be thinking about God's word. We need to be reading God's word, studying God's word, more than we're thinking about what we need to do to win the next Fortnite game or what the, the centerpiece at our wedding is going to be one day. We need to spend more time in God's word. Because Paul has in mind a complete renewal of our mind. When Paul says that, he wants it to be so in any situation, we can do what is holy and acceptable because we know what the right thing to do is. Almost like it's by instinct. We just know. We don't have to think about it. We just know. It's like when we drove here today, if you did drive here, when you saw the car braking in front of you, I hope you didn't have to wait and think, okay, the car is braking. Which pedal's that? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the brake, the brake, the brake. Okay, okay. Ooh, that was a close one. Okay, the light is green. All the other cars are moving. Everyone is honking at me. What am I supposed to do? Is it the right one or the left one? Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the skinny one on the right. I hope that's not how we drive. And maybe when we started off, that's how we were driving. But I hope that by now, we see the car brake in front of us and we just stop. We, we don't have to think about it. It's just, it's just kind of our instinct by this point. But that's because we spent so much time doing it. We spent so much time driving that it becomes an instinct. And for those of you who don't drive, maybe the freshmen or the sophomores, that illustration meant nothing to you. Think about tying your shoes. This morning when you tied your shoes, did you take one lace and the other lace and get, okay, I cross them over. I'm gonna, I have to look it up on YouTube. I don't remember what this is. Okay, okay, but I make a loop now. And then, okay, I bring, oh, okay, I bring the other one around and I tie it. No. We didn't have to do that. That's not how we do these things, because at this point, these things are instinctual. We don't have to think about it at this point. And Paul wants us to be like that in every situation. If we want to respond to God's mercies with true worship in every aspect of our life, if we want to be giving him that true worship, we need to know what to do in every aspect of our life, in every situation that we face. And how do we get to know our Bibles that well? By spending time in them and by reading them. A really easy way to do this is the DBR. We have the calendars for the DBR on the back table most weekends. We have on the website, we have a little link, and you just have to click on it, and then it takes you right to what you're supposed to be reading. It's really easy. And you might be thinking, okay, Drew, I read my, B my DBR every day. Well, the next step is getting into deeper study of it. Maybe you're sending a takeaway to someone. You're thinking about it more. The other thing we need to be doing is Bible memory. The Bible tells us everything we need to know about how to live a life of true worship. But can you tell me the lyrics to every single Taylor Swift song and not the lyrics 
or not the, any Bible verses. Or maybe for the guys at Cars and Coffee, you can tell me the make and model of every single car, but you can't tell me any of Bible verses. Or for me, sometimes I can say the line to every single movie I'm watching, but I can't tell you nearly as many Bible verses as I should be able to. We need to compare how well we know our favorite things and our favorite hobbies to how well we know our Bibles. The other way that we can learn about the Bible is through sermons. And you guys did the first step. You showed up to True North. It's a great first step. But when you're listening to the sermon, are you taking notes, listening carefully? Or are you showing your friend the Instagram reels you're looking at? Maybe, maybe the text you got from your girlfriend and you're just showing all your friends and you're not paying attention. When Pastor John and Pastor Roy are up here, do you hear what they have to say and then go on with the rest of your week like they had nothing important to say? Are you doing those application questions on the back of the worksheet? Or if you're taking notes on your phone or a laptop, they post them on Instagram every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's an application question for us. Are we doing those, thinking about how well we need to know God's word, how these sermons are supposed to apply to our lives? Because knowing what to do is great. Knowing what to do is an awesome first step, but knowing what to do isn't the end goal. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says that we should be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our minds are supposed to be renewed, but the point of that is so that our life is transformed. It's not just so that you can win Bible trivia. It's not just so that you can look like the smartest person who graduated Awana, got their Timothy Award. It's so that our life can change on the inside. Because the whole point of this is that we're living a transformed life. And that's the third point, is live a transformed life. Live a transformed life. And I think that there are two main areas of our lives that we should see transformed. That first area of our life that we should see transformed is internally. We should see our lives transformed internally. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus has asked the question. He's asked, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, the most important commandment is that you love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. Got some of those backwards there. But Jesus tells us that the most important commandment is that we love God with all our heart. And when our lives are transformed, we're not just going to know that commandment, but we're going to follow that commandment. We're going to do what that commandment says. And let's think about our lives here with other people. When we, when we talk to someone, when we love someone, it's because, what do we do? We talk to them. We talk to them a lot. The more you love someone, the more you want to talk to this person, the more you want to spend time with this person, the more you want to hear what this person has to say. And the last point was all about how we hear from God. Studying God and his word is how we hear from him, but the way that we talk to God is through prayer. And I think our prayer life is a great indicator of whether or not we're living a transformed life. When we're praying, are we just checking the box and then moving on with our day? Or are we seeing prayer at a time of true worship? Are we just coming to God saying, God, I have a football game this week, or I have a test this week. Give me the strength to win this football game or pass this test. And then we check off the box and we move on. 
Or are we seeing our time of prayer as a time to be worshiping God as a holy and acceptable living sacrifice? And maybe you haven't thought about your prayer as worship before. But our prayer is worship. Our prayer is a time to be worshiping God. Think about it. When we're praying, we're saying, God, you are glorious. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are in authority. You are the one that I depend on. You provide for my physical needs. You take care of my soul. Without you, I am nothing. God, I need you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Thank you for who you are. Does that sound like worship? It does, because it is worship. And we should see our prayer as a time of worship. And we need to be giving God more time in prayer. We should be marking off times of our day, blocking off times to pray to God, to give him that true worship. I think our prayer is a great way to see if our life is transformed internally. And the second area of our lives that should be transformed is externally. Our life should be transformed externally. And there's a lot of ways that when our lives are transformed, you'll be able to tell that on the outside. When your life is transformed on the inside, this should show through your actions. But I just want to talk about a couple of the ways we can do that today. And one way that we can live a transformed life externally is by serving the church. If we're a Christian in this room and we desire God over everything else, we studied his word and we're trying to live a transformed life, a great way to be doing this is by serving the church. And if you already have a spot you're serving, that's awesome. But when you're serving, serve with gladness and serve with joy. When you're back behind the coffee bar before service making coffee, or you're serving in kidsmen, or you're helping clean up after True North, think about that time as a time of worship. That service isn't just making coffee for the sake of making coffee. That service is serving the church. It's worshiping God. And if your life has been transformed and you're not serving in the church, we should find a place to serve. I think if we look closely, there's so many areas at our church that need people to step up. We just had Fall Fest happen. That's always a great place to serve. Kidsmen always needs help. The dance team always needs help. Hospitality, parking, helping Sabrina clean up after True North, setting up the table, coming 10 minutes early to True North, setting up chairs. If we don't have a place to serve, we should find one because that is a way that we can be truly worshiping God. We need to respond to everything that he's done for us with true worship and serving is a great way to do that. And the other big way that we can see our lives transformed externally is how we act towards others. Back in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says that the greatest commandment is that we love God, and the second greatest commandment is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. If our lives have been transformed and we're living a transformed life, we're going to show others the love that Christ commands us to. We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to show others a sacrificial love that reflects the love of Christ, our great Savior. We're not just going to love superficially, but we're going to really care about these people. We can do that through how we talk to people. I think that's a big one that I know I need to work on, is how I talk to others. When you talk to them, are you saying, oh, hey, how was your day? And then you're thinking, okay, what's the next conversation I'm going to move on to? 
Or do you actually care, okay, how was this person's day? What can I do to serve this person? How can I care for this person? Are we tearing people down with our words at every opportunity we have? Are we trying to be sarcastic and rude and look for any little thing we can pick on? Or are we looking to build each other up, to encourage each other, to genuinely push each other towards Christ? And this isn't just a love that we should have for our friends, but like Pastor John talked about a couple weeks ago, this is a love that we should have for our enemies too. We should have this love externally towards our friends and towards our enemies. This love should be in every aspect of our life. And when you're loving others like Christ, we're worshiping God. Even if we don't see it that way, we're giving God true worship because we're being a holy and acceptable sacrifice. We're being a living sacrifice. We want our mind to be renewed. We want our life to be transformed so that in every single situation, we're looking to glorify God. In everything in our lives, we're looking, okay, my mind has been renewed by studying God's word. What is the good and acceptable will of God in this situation? What can I do that would be most glorifying to God in the best way to give God true worship? And then we're not stopping at our mind being renewed. We're not stopping at desiring God, but we're actually living a transformed life. We're actually going out and doing these things. That is how we can be a living sacrifice. That is how we can respond to God's mercies with true worship. And there's a story of an Englishman named David Livingstone. And this guy was a great example of being a living sacrifice. His life was kind of crazy. He lived back in the 1600s, somewhere in the middle of the 1600s. And early on in his life, he was captured by pirates. By real-life pirates. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was captured and made a slave, my first concern would be, okay, how can I be safe? How can I try and get out of here? How can I avoid being beaten or punished? But David Livingstone, that is not what he was concerned about at all. His mind was totally different than where I probably would be at. David Livingstone, when he was a slave, one of the first things he did was he founded a church. He went into slavery, captured by pirates, and he founded a church. And he served this church for a long time while he was a slave. And then years later, his brother arranged for Livingstone to be free. David Livingstone had a way out of slavery. But when he heard about this, he wasn't as excited as I think we would be if we had a way out of slavery. He was like, well, I think I want to stay. I think I'm going to stay as a slave. And this wasn't because his life was great as a slave. It wasn't because like, oh, you know what? Being a slave is so much better than being free. That's not why he wanted to stay. He wanted to stay because he wanted to serve God and to serve the church that he founded. He thought that this was the best way to give God true worship. And throughout this, he had a lot of people tell him how amazing his sacrifice was. They're like, David, you, went, you refused to see your family again? You said... I'll give up ever seeing my family again. I'll give up going back to England and having a comfortable life. I'll give up going home where I came from. That's such a sacrifice. You're so holy. You're so awesome. And when these people said this to David, what David Livingstone said was, what I have done is no sacrifice. All these things are nothing 
compared to the great sacrifice that Christ made when he came down to die for us. For David, doing the right thing was just what he should do. Because in his heart, he desired God over everything else. He desired God over seeing his family again, over having comfort, over having health, over having the riches of the world. He desired that over everything else because he knew of the sacrifice that Christ had made for him. He had studied his Bible and he knew that Christ had commanded him to live as a living sacrifice, to love others sacrificially. He knew that was Christ's command for him and he responded to Christ's command. He responded to his love for God by actually living a transformed life. He gave up seeing his family again. He gave up everything for the sake of worshiping God. Because for him, giving God true worship was the most important thing. I think that David Livingstone is a great example for us to try and follow in our lives. And I pray that we can do that going forward. I'm going to pray and welcome the worship team back up, and we're going to sing one more song. Dear God, I pray that for each of us in this room, we can see our lives as true worship. We can see every aspect of our lives as true worship, and that we can be a holy and acceptable living sacrifice. I pray that in our hearts, we desire you most. I pray that we study your word and we learn what your will is for us, what you want us to do. And I pray that we actually live that transformed life. I pray that our prayer life is transformed. I pray that our service to the church is transformed. I pray that how we treat others is transformed because our minds have been renewed because of that we've been saved by you. I pray that we can do all this and our lives can change from this day on. Amen.